Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Hey, there we go. I'm, uh, I'm so glad that, uh, that even though uh, I wasn't here last week, we still haven't forgotten uh, what type of response culture this was. Or at the very least, we figured it out during worship, because this morning's uh, intro was a little rough. But we're getting there. We're warming back up, right? Amen? Amen. Amen. There we go. Um, so for those of you who don't know, uh, last weekend uh, was, was, kind of a, it was kind of a big deal, like low-key, high-key, it was like a really big deal. Uh, last weekend was Epic. Can I, there we go, can I get some noise from everyone who was at Epic? There we go. So Epic is our uh, annual student ministries retreat. Uh, it's our annual student ministries conference where we invite uh, other, other churches from around the area to also join us. Um, this year we had a new location. We went down to uh, Camp Round Lake and uh, we had the seventh edition, seven, oh goodness, seventh edition of, of Epic. And this was our, like I said, it was our seventh year. And so being that it was our seventh year, I've like kind of gotten used to some, uh, some what do we want to call it, patterns, if you will. There's like some pretty consistent patterns year after year. Um, there's some things that I can just count on every single year. For example, I can count on not knowing how many James is bringing from Akron until everybody gets on the bus that afternoon. I can count on that. I can count on, uh, I can count on not knowing uh, the exact number of people that'll get on our bus until about an hour before they arrive. I can count on that. You can always count on there being kids, and this is my favorite part, is when you see them getting off the bus. Uh, you can always count on, on probably one, or, one of three different reactions. You have the kids who know exactly what's coming this weekend, and they are pumped as they get off the bus. They're taking their steps down, they're grabbing their bags, they are loud as all get out, and they are excited to be at Epic because they know what's about to go down. Then there's the kids who are slowly getting off the bus. They don't really care at all about what they're going to encounter. They more or less just don't want to be home. Uh, it's spring break, and they're with their friends, and so they're just excited to be there just kind of going with the flow, going with the majority, really have no clue what they're actually getting into. And then inevitably, there are always those students who get off the bus and you can tell immediately that there is not even the slightest bit of hope that they actually want to be there at all. Somehow they were forced against their will to put clothes in a bag. They were held against their will at the check-in line. They were physically carried onto the bus, told to sit there and be quiet and you're gonna love it. And then they arrive at Epic at a place they never been before. Some types of trees and a type of, type of lake that nobody's ever seen before. Surrounded by people they've never seen before. And they're not having it. Happens every year. Every single year. But what never fails, the last thing I can always, always count on is that inevitably, because we serve a God that never fails, Amen. it will never fail that for those students 
who take even just a moment, even just a moment to be open to what's happening around them. To those students who take just a second to listen to one of the speakers or just a second to engage in worship. To those students who actually at some point throughout the weekend, no matter what category they came in under, for those who take a second to be engaged, God breaks through every time. It doesn't fail. That's the type of God we serve. That's why as we go on year to year, it gets less stressful. Wouldn't it be nice if that's what life was like, where we could count on, I've seen God do this six times before, so I know that coming into this year, I know what it is. Wouldn't it be nice if that was how we got to live life? For those students who take even just a moment to be open, they have an experience that changes them forever. Isn't that funny? We're in the middle of a series right now called Famous Last Words. As we walk through the last phrases that were ever recorded that Jesus is able to spurt out on the cross. As he dies, the sacrificial lamb, for our saving, he says a few things. The first week, we talked about the first thing he utters, which is, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Even though, for all intents and purposes, in the most gruesome way we put him there, forgiveness is in his heart. Last week, Eddie talked about the criminal that was right next to Jesus, who upon seeing who Jesus was, upon realizing who Jesus was, Jesus announces to that criminal, even you will be with me on this day in paradise. This week, we come to a text found in the Gospel of John. So if you have your physical Bibles, I recommend turning to the Gospel of John. The book is divided into two sections, Old Testament, New Testament. If you go to the New Testament, John is, let's see, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's the fourth book, <coughs> excuse me, of the New Testament. We're going to go to chapter 19. So as you're scrolling through John, you're going to see these big numbers. One, two, three, so on and so forth. Go to the big number 19, and we're going to drop down to the 23rd verse, which is indicated by that tiny number 23 in your Bible. If you don't have your Bible with you and you do not trust yourself to fight off the temptation of the devil to stay off of Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, and or Twitter, go ahead and look up here on the screen with me. We start again in the 23rd verse. The word of God says this, when the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they divided his clothes among the four of them. They also took his robe, but it was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said, rather than tearing it apart, let's throw dice for it. This fulfilled the scripture that says they divided my garments among themselves and threw dice for my clothing. So, that's, so that is what they did. Standing near the cross... That's important. We're going to catch that again. Standing near the cross were Jesus' mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, he said to her, Dear woman, here is your son. 
And then he said to his disciple, here is your mother. And from then on, this disciple took her into his home. This is the word of God. It is true. So what we see is once again, Jesus on the cross. If you want to know more about how we got to this point, I recommend going back and listening to previous sermons online as we explained how we got to this point of Jesus, the hero in all of our story, the savior of all things, being hung on a cross. And as he's bleeding out, as he's suffocating, gasping for breath, the crowds mocking him, boo, hiss, funny phrases, words, whatever. Then you've got the soldiers down here, the guards, the, the, the people that are in charge of making sure he actually dies. They're playing dice for his clothing. And then standing near the cross, you have his mother. That's where I want to focus our, our, our first bit of attention here this morning, is the people who are standing near the cross as this is happening. You have the soldiers. The soldiers, they have to be there, right? It's their job to be there. But they don't, they don't have to be so disrespectful. You know what I'm saying? Like, they don't have to go the full length that they're really going. They're just being ignorant. They're just being disrespectful. They are taking Jesus' clothes off of him. They are leaving him butt naked on the cross and then waving his clothes around like, who wants this one? Who wants this one? Yo, that tunic is fire. I want that one. No, I want that one. No, 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 no. You got the last one. I'm taking this one. No, wait, what? Hold on. How is that fair? You got it. No, no, no. I got it. I got it. I got it. Who's got some dice? We're going to play some games for Jesus' clothes. Then you've got the crowd. The crowd who, it's so funny to me because when you read the rest of the Gospels, you see crowds following Jesus. You see crowds ooing and eyeing as he multiplies bread and fish. You see crowds clapping and rejoicing as he, as he heals people who have, been, who have suffered from physical ailments their entire lives. You see crowds in support and crossing rivers and lakes and streams to get to the other side of where Jesus is. But here... We see crowds mocking and scorning Jesus. They're just the majority. They're just going with whatever is popular to do at that moment. And at that moment, it was cool to spit and hiss at Jesus, the man up there on the cross. And then you've got Mary, his mother. His mother. Whatever the most gruesome image is in your head, I promise that likely doesn't compare to what the image actually was of Jesus gasping for air, of the blood filling his throat, him probably just barely being able to get out words because he's got he's to spit blood out just to be able to breathe a little bit, and his mother who birthed him. His mother, who, as she sees her son, is, I'm sure, going through all of these memories of him playing out on the playground. 
of her cooking him dinner and calling him inside. Maybe that one time she actually accidentally lost him at the fair. But it was okay because he was in the temple just reading scripture. It's all good. He was a good kid. No, that's really in there. You should check it out. Um, She's got all these memories and now... It's all come to this. But see, the thing about it is Mary knew all along. Before he physically appeared, he knew all along who Jesus was. She knew all along that this was the Son of God. And here he is, suffering. Then you've got Salome, the sister. You've got Salome who is the one who, her, her kids are James and John, and she's the one that goes to Jesus earlier in, earlier in the gospel. She's the one who goes to Jesus, and she's like, she's like, hey, listen, I know you say all this wild stuff about how this is all going to end. Here's, I, I just, I, you know, just do it as a favor to me, Jesus. I just got one thing to ask of you. Hey, Jesus, if you could just make sure that whenever the kingdom arrives, if you could just make sure that my two sons are sitting at your right and left hand, that would be wonderful. Like, if you could just make sure that they're held in glory and esteem with you, that would be great. And she's the one who first learns of the inverted nature of the kingdom of God. Jesus turns to her and instructs her, It's not like that where we're going. Those who are willing to serve and suffer with me, that is who will be held up in honor. Not the most strong, not the most courageous, not the most smart, not the ones that the rest of the crowds glorify and honor, but the ones who serve and die with me, that is who's going to be honored. Kingdom is flipped from how you think it is. Then you've got Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene right? She was healed. She was delivered. Scripture tells us that she had all these demons that she was fighting with. Anybody got some demons that they're wrestling with this morning? She was fighting with multiple demons. And with a word, Jesus is like, I recognize what you're going through. I recognize your condition, and I'm calling all of that out of you. Go ahead. If you are not from God, if you are a spirit that is evil and that is plaguing this woman, you got to go. And it was gone. It was done. She was healed. She was delivered. She was freed from her chains at the sound of a word. So, yeah, she was there. And then you've got the Apostle John, who Jesus calls the beloved disciple. John calls himself the most loved. It's a little arrogant, but it's probably true. He was the most loved. Him and Jesus were the closest. That was his guy. That's my guy up there. That's my guy that y'all killing. That's my God that y'all crucifying. Yeah, he was there. And real quick, just take a quick note of, in no gospel, do, take a quick note of who wasn't there. Where were Jesus' brothers at? Like his half-blood brothers, where were they at? You know, Peter. You know that guy that's handed the keys to the kingdom? He's like, all right, you're team captain of what's going to be called the church, so you go ahead and go, yeah. And I'm never going to deny you, Jesus. Where was he at? Where was he? Where were the crowds that followed 
and learned and were blessed by watching miracles. Where were they at? My question to you this morning. You. Where are you standing in relation to the cross? Where are you standing in relation to the cross? Are you the one that's continuing in ignorance? You're out here playing games with your life, essentially. And you're cool with not knowing what's hanging right there above you because that ain't got nothing to do with you anyway. You're just out here trying to, trying to earn your money. That's got nothing to do with me. I'm cool with that. Is that where you're at in relation to the cross? What about the crowds? Because it's pretty cool to, 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 to hate on the Christian faith right now, right? You ain't got to do too many clicks on your, on, your, uh, on your TV remote to see some criticism of the church or to see some criticism of this quote-unquote religion or to see some criticism of somebody who's outstanding in their faith. You don't have to really look too far. Are you one of those people that it's like, it's all just a little bit too much for you? You're asking just a little bit too much. You're asking me to watch. You're asking me to suffer. You're asking me to do all. That's just a little bit too much for me. So I'm going to keep my distance. I may or may not watch from the hillside. I may or may not stream this business online, but ah, it's just a little bit too much for me to be that close to. And now I want you to think about who was there. Who was the closest? Because the people who were right up there on the cross, see, a lot of people were cool with Jesus right up until he was hanging on the cross. But the people who were there, they were the people who knew who he was. They were the people who knew exactly who Jesus was. They were the very people who had been healed, freed, delivered by Jesus. They were the people who Jesus looked at and called beloved. They were those who cannot deny the experience they had with Jesus. So there they would stand in the shadow of the cross. At the feet of their Savior until he wasn't there anymore. And then we see something interesting. Jesus, in all of this suffering and all of this Going on, he looks down and sees Mary and John. He sees them there watching, mourning. And he says, John, that's your mother. And it wasn't literally, it was his. But he says, John, that's your mom. That's your mother. Mother, that right there, that's your son. And what he's doing is he's forming a bond that may or may not have even been there before. He's saying this shared experience right here is going to bring you guys together. Because even, and I need you to do this because even on the cross in all of his pain near death, Jesus was concerned with his mother not being alone. He was concerned with his disciple not feeling abandoned. And so he's saying, take this shared experience. You guys know the truth. 
You guys know what's really happening here, and you guys are here at my feet. I need you to take this experience right here. You are now family. You're now family. Jesus, while dying, was concerned with how his people would mourn. Moreover, he likely was concerned with how they would live after this. He didn't want to leave his mother and his most loved disciple to feel as if they were abandoned. Jesus promised just a few chapters before in chapter 14, when he's sitting down and they're, having, they're all having dinner together. He says, guys, I know you're tripping right now because I just told you that I'm not going to be here for much longer. But I need you to know I'm not going to abandon you. You will not be left abandoned as orphans. So he makes sure to communicate to them before he takes his last breath on the cross. Hey, you too, family. They had a shared experience. They had something significant in common. And Jesus tells them that this is what binds them together from this day forward. Have you ever had a shared experience that was so significant that you forever feel bonded with the people you experienced it with? You know what I'm talking about? Some of y'all in this room are athletes. You should know what I'm talking about. That feeling of being dressed in identical uniform to the guy next to you. That feeling of linking arms before you're about to run out this tunnel, break through some piece of paper that some cheerleaders spent hours making. <laughs> I never understood that. Rachel explained that to me later. And as you run out this tunnel together, you feel invincible. You feel unstoppable. And if anyone asks in the moment, this guy next to you, that's your brother. But if we're going to keep it real after that game's over, you're probably not eating together afterwards. Like that may or may not actually be your brother. That may or may not actually be your person. And after the season's over, you know, sometimes that bond sticks. But sometimes, I mean, I don't really like them anyway. Sometimes. Or think of a crazy event. Think of like one of, the, one of the most memorable things you've ever done or one of the funniest moments you've ever had and then you know immediately who was around you when that happened, right? And then after that, you still see those people and you may or may not literally have anything else to talk about, but when you see them, you can't help but just laugh and like, hey, remember that one time, right? Those of you that went to Epic... Those of you that went to Epic, think about how you went in on Friday night. All these people you didn't know. And then 40 out, 48 hours later, the forever friendships you left with. Because there you had an experience. You had an experience together. And you had an experience that at the center was the gospel of Jesus Christ. At the center was the movement of the Holy Spirit. And because of that, you will never forget the people next to you. Because of that, that is your brother. Because of that, that is your sister. You come back now and you're like, how do we stay family? Because we are absolutely family now. Something different happens when the center of your shared experience is Jesus, something different happens, something shifts, something moves. 
You become family. And among that family, you find the healing you've been begging for for a long time. You find that purpose that you weren't quite sure about before. You find that peace that you've just lost so many nights of sleep over. You find that hope that nobody from the time you were a young kid told you about. The good news we get to share today is that all who come to stand in the shadow of the cross, all who come to worship at the feet of Jesus become family. You are not alone. You are now family. And it's not just a bonding experience. It's not just becoming a family. Jesus in this text, he's making arrangements for his mother. He's taking care of his mother in this way because when you're made family, family takes care of each other. That's the way it was set up in Genesis. Family takes care of each other. Jesus says to John, this is your mother now. Jesus says to his mother, this is your son now. Jesus is telling them, I need you to support and love each other the way that you would support and love me. And from that day on, the text tells us John took care of Mary. And John and Mary did not live in the same place. There was no questioning. There was no like, yeah, Jesus, and I'll make this quick because I know you're like gasping for air right now. But just a couple clarifiers. Um, What about like, you know, there was none of that. John, I need you to take care of my mom, man. John went home, packed up his house. And moved to where Mary lived. And he took care of her from that day forward. Because that's what family does. There was no questioning. A family cares for one another. A family empathizes with one another. A family celebrates together and mourns together. Thank you. A family understands one another. A family listens to one another. A family provides for one another. And perhaps most importantly, a family shares and passes on love. My last question for you this morning is where are others standing in relation to you? Where are you standing in relation to the cross? But where are others standing in relation to you? Are you living out the command of Christ? Jesus said it with his life. He said the greatest commandment of all is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. But second, and it's a close second, I need you to love your neighbor as yourself. He said it while he's on the cross. He could have very well said, y'all better love me for this. It's probably what I would have said. But instead, he said, I need you to love each other. You two who are not blood related, you are now. Y'all who didn't catch on before, now you do. Love one another. Are you caring for those near you? Let me be more specific. Are you showing the type of love that others feel invited into? Because you know how sometimes when you have a shared experience with somebody and then somebody else is hanging out with y'all and they didn't have that shared experience and sometimes they feel like a third, fifth, seventh, ninth, odd number wheel. 
They feel like they were on the outside. They feel like they don't know what you're talking about. They feel like they're not as good of friends with you anymore because y'all had this moment and I ain't had this moment. And so now y'all besties somehow and we not besties anymore. No, you're too old for that. Okay, my fault. Jesus does not want anyone to feel like an outsider. Are you showing others what the family of Jesus Christ is about? When you do, others want to be in on that. So you invite them in on that. Jesus does not want us going through this life alone. He absolutely doesn't want his family becoming so exclusive that it keeps the gates in front of the family mansion locked to the outside world. If blood makes you a member of the family, then I promise you Jesus shed enough to cover all people. Believe me, y'all. This way of living is crooked in the world's eyes. They don't understand it. Get yours. Worry about you. Worry about yourself. Jesus was dying and was more concerned with those at his feet. Going to be family after this and then going to get the people who were mocking him after this. Go get them. Tell them, though. Not revenge. Tell them about this family. Tell them what this means. Tell them how they get in. Things on the outside of this building are rough. I ain't got to tell you that. The world, for all intents and purposes, scorns and mocks Jesus' name to this day. It's not necessarily welcomed, right? Where will you be standing in the midst of a world that scorns and mocks Jesus' name? Will you be standing at a distance? Will you be standing close but participating in the mocking? Will you be at his feet? If you're standing in the shadow of the cross, then we're family, right? That's how this goes. But the expectation of this family is to show love. The expectation of this family is to have houses, families, relationships that people want to be a part of. Are you inviting people to come to know Jesus by the way you love those around you? Or are you just another part of the crowd? 